Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Hey there, sports history fans. This is Jeremy McFarland, host of the Footballers Family Podcast, right here on the Sports History Network. Before you jump into a sports history adventure, let me first tell you about this episode's sponsor. We are partnered with Rochester Sports Autographs, the largest JSA authenticated autograph distributor in the United States, where you can get great deals on over 30,000 autograph sports collectibles. They even have film, music, and other entertainment autographs on the site, so there's something for everyone. Perhaps you're looking for a gift for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Heck, who needs a holiday as an excuse to give a piece of sports history to your loved ones? Or how about yourself? Today seems to be a great day to add to your sports cave, right? But how is RSA able to offer such great deals on a JSA authentication, you may ask? Well, they do, have, they do this by making deals directly with the athletes, so there's no extra markups, and they choose to pass the savings on to the customer. All orders from Rochester Sports Autographs are top quality and shipped to your door with top authentication and a money-back guarantee. And to make sure RSA knows that the Sports History Network sent you, we created a special link for you. All you need to do is head to shoprsa.com backslash shn that's shoprsa.com backslash eight backslash shn to get your piece of sports history today hey this is jeremy mcfarland again for the football's family podcast and i'm sitting here in a rainy cold hurricane mills tennessee thinking about buying something all i need to do is start a GoFundMe page and, and uh collect about $4.5 billion and I can do it. What is that? You may ask. Well, it's a football team, a professional football team. I own one of Madden on the Titans. I had a chance to send them to Dublin and to Mexico city, but I, I moved them across a little bit to, to Nashville and built a big stadium for them. It's pretty cool, but I don't own a football team. I don't own one. And odds are with my life that I picked and everything like that, I will not own a, professional football team that's okay there are 32 professional football teams in, in america right now the nfl six nfl the nfc has 16 the afc has 16 each one of these teams have their own history their own stories and their own backgrounds that make each franchise special to their own fan base it is really neat to read books about the nfl history like the nfl 100 a century of pro football Pro football in the 1960s and many, many other historical books of the NFL, plus all the NFL films that have dedicated themselves to, de to documenting the NFL as it grew and developed into what it is today. Early on in the process of forming a league, men like George Hallis, who bought the Bears, then known as the Decatur Staley's, for around $100, the Mara family, who bought the Giants for $500, and the Rooney family, who bought the then Pittsburgh Pirates, now the Steelers, for a reported $2,500. Each one, 
and many, many more men who took a flyer on a sport that wouldn't become what it is today for many, many years. They lost a lot of money in the deal, and many of them had to sell or fold. Today, well over 100 years later, these teams that formed the early NFL and have survived are worth billions. Their original owners wouldn't recognize their team. When the 1950s turned into the 1960s, you had men, uh, a group of men called the Foolish Club who decided to go up against the established NFL. Men like Lamar Hunt, Bud Adams, Harry Wismer, Ralph Wilson, Billy Sullivan, Wayne Valley, Bob Hausman, and Baron Hilton all thought that they could take on the establishment and win. And in a way, they did. While they didn't technically win the war, they survived long enough to be combined into the league that we know today. Obviously, 32 teams came later on. But when you added the AFL teams to the NFL teams, you had a much broader fan base. You had a much broader group of, of, of players. And you had a much what much wider way for people to see it. Different cities now had different teams that people could support. The fan base grew. These, these men took a big risk and it paid off. And you actually see the success eventually panning out in Super Bowls three and Super Bowls four. Because of this, we have the two conferences of this league today. To be an owner of the NFL, you must put up some major money. The Denver Broncos were just purchased by the Walton family for $4.5 billion. I guess Homer Simpson was willing to part with that team for that much money. And if you don't get that reference, please Google it. I know some of you are giggling right now because Homer Simpson did own the Denver Broncos. You are looking at a drastic difference between when Hallis bought the Bears and when Walmart bought the Bears. Why is that? To own an NFL team is to be part of a small group that is hard to get into. It's a chance to make a lot of money to win a Super Bowl and to be featured, featured on Madden. But it's a very small group to be a part of. It's a very small group to be into it because there's a limited amount of ownerships available in the NFL. So let's just say today that the 33rd NFL team has been announced by the league. And they said, you are the owner. You have come up with a, a starting price. I don't know. Say, say a, a billion dollars just to get started. Of course, you have to come up with more. What would you do? What would be some of the things that you as the owner would do? First, and this is probably what you would do before you even get given, you would, before you even be given a team, you would have to put the team in a certain place. Obviously, you would probably put it in your town that you represent or that you have ties to. You'd have to go obviously get permission from the city to do that. But think about putting your team in a city. What city would it be? You know, I'm from a little town called Bonacqua, Tennessee. I couldn't put my team in Bonacqua. It wouldn't have the infrastructure. It wouldn't have, it has plenty of room, but it wouldn't have the parking. It wouldn't have a lot of stuff that would require, that would be required for having an NFL team. Would you put your team inside a city like Atlanta is or even Nashville? Uh, or would you put it on the outskirts of a city, much like San Francisco is not technically in San Francisco? Would you put 
or the Rams are not, and the Chargers are not in LA. They're outside of LA. You know, when you even think of the Braves, I remember going to the Braves in the two previous stadiums. Their new stadium is not technically in Atlanta like the previous two stadiums. Would you do? Would you do that? Would you put it on the outskirts of a city? Would you put it inside the city? Would the parking be available? Would the infrastructure be available? Would you be able to use the water and the electric and the electricity? You would do that as well. And you also have to think about this when you when you think about a stadium. Would you privately fund it like a Stan Kroenke, or would you say, uh, "I have a stadium. I have a, a city that wants the NFL team. Would you fund it?" Back in the nineties, when the Titans came, it was majorly it was funded majorly through private, but also the public paid for it, still paying for it. And with the new stadium, there's going to be some public paying, but there's going to be a lot more private, and the NFL is going to fund it as well. Now you're going to find that most cities will not fund an NFL team building a stadium. They don't get the tax benefits immediately. And probably because most cities are taxed themselves to the point that they can't come up with an extra six or seven billion or six or seven hundred million dollars for a stadium just for a part of it. Uh, they're going to require an NFL team to come up with the rest. Now, that being said, you got a stadium. You have to build a stadium. You know where you're going to put it. You got the approval. You got all that stuff. Now, yeah, by the way, you not only have to have approval, you have to do all sorts of testing to make sure that you can put a massive building in that area. So there's a lot, lot to go into. it. So stadium, what would you do? Would you do open roof or closed roof? With the Titans, They when they built their stadium, they were building pretty uh, – the Nissan Stadium that we have now was pretty cheap. I think it was just a little bit under $150 million, which is not cheap, but it is compared to other ones. But now, because Nashville wants to host WrestleManias and Super Bowls and the NCAA championships, they're going to put a roof on it. Well, obviously, that adds money to it. You also get more taxes. But in order to get the more taxes through the events that you can host, you have to put a roof on it. So what would you do? Most owners are more concerned about the money-making parts of the stadium than they are about the average fans in the stadium. Compare the seating for an average fan to the luxury boxes and tell me that that's not the case. Now, granted, if I spend $4.5 billion on a stadium, yes, I would want some of that revenue back quickly. I get that. But what would your stadium look like? To me, I like the open air. Uh, I don't like it in August. But in January, I, you can always put on more clothes. And something about going to a cold football game that does my heart wonders. That being said, I've never been to Lambeau Field. I don't know what that's like, so I may change my mind. Number three, what would you call your team? This is another thing that I think is important. Would you call your team? What Would you make that decision? You're the owner. You can make that decision. Or would you like the Falcons did back when they came out? Would you come out and say, let's, let's make a – you write in, you, you talk to the people in your cities and you write in suggestions. You know, the Falcons were suggested by a teacher. Uh, she won the contest. Would you make that executive decision? With that name comes the legal issues of copywriting and such. You have to copyright your thing. You just cannot make an, uh, an emblem to go along with the name and plaster it on everything and not copyright it. You're going to make a lot of money off of that emblem. 
You also want your emblem and name to be recognizable by just people wearing it. When I was in Scotland, I, I had a Titans hat on. Not too many people recognize that. But if I'm in Scotland wearing a Cowboys hat, you know, at, at the star, people would recognize that. People recognize the uh, the Raiders, the the Patriots. They recognize those things because this is what a an emblem and a name will do to a city and to a team. You want to make sure that you do it right. Number four, colors. I can't see colors very well. It took a long time before somebody explained to me why the Titans are known as two-tone blue. I didn't get it because the blue, uh, I'm looking at a, a life-size cutout of Mark Mariani across, and he's got the two-tone blue. I thought the top part was black. I just couldn't see it. Now I get it because people explained it to me. What would you do with your colors? You know, you think about the Packers and the and the uh, the Raiders, and even back in the eighties with the 49ers with their beautiful gold. Uh, that is something that I think is is what you would want your city and your team to stand out with with colors. You know, I'm looking over at my Crimson Tide stuff. They're known as the Crimson Tide because of their the color. That's what you would want. You want your colors to be instantly recognizable, like the Steelers, like the Bucks, the Seahawks. You want your colors to be part of your branding, like the Cowboys, the Giants, the Jets, and the Eagles back in the 80s. The Kelly Green is absolutely perfect. Why you change it? Kelly Green, we're talking Reggie White, we're talking Randall Cunningham, that type of green. You want it to be recognizable. Fifth, your coach and your GM. Your coach is important, but if you are starting a franchise, your GM is going to be a lot more essential than you realize. He's going to be picking, or he or she, doesn't matter. They're going to be picking the number one choice in that next year's draft. But they're also going to do a couple more things. Think about this, number six. Would you build your team through the draft or through free agency? When the Panthers and the Jaguars joined the NFL, they were given supplemental drafts, basically, and they were allowed to pick players from uh, the NFL teams that basically cast them off and said, you know, you can pick from these two. They were also given pretty much a a limit, uh, limitless salary cap. So they were able to, as Gil Brandt said, they were strutting before they walked. Would you build through the draft or would you build through free agency? The Texans, their first pick was David Carr, which they, they took him out, made him a human pinata. They destroyed his confidence. He didn't win a Super Bowl backing up uh, Eli Manning. But their first pick basically bought him because they didn't protect him. Now, to me, I would build through the draft. But if you're a starting franchise, trying to build up a fan base, trying to build up a group of people to follow you, and your owner has just put down $4.5 billion dollars to build a team and, a, and more for a stadium, he's probably wanting more of a, 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 he's probably wanting the fan base to grow pretty quickly and get some of that money back. So building through the free agency is probably what you would do. Better move to build through the draft long-term, but short-term you need to win now to establish the fan base. 
Finally, are you going to be an owner that is involved with day-to-day business like a Jones or a Snyder? They're hovering over the gym or they're the gym. Or are you going to be more of a hands-off owner? To me, if I hire a GM, I'm going to let the GM do his or her job. I would just wear the hat, sit in the owner's box, enjoy my day. But what would you do? And there's more to it. There's more to it. The keys of the 33rd franchise is in your hands. What would you do? Please let me know at Jeremy underscore McFarland on Twitter or on the Football's Family podcast Facebook page. While you're at it, while you're at it, please rate and review this podcast along with the rest of the great podcasts on the Sports History Network. And we have a new sponsor here at the Footballers Family Podcast. It's Manscaped. Support for the Footballers Family Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code FAMILY at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived, and oh man, is it a game changer. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Revival, Revival Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to Hold Your Goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, and I dare say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and it also has a 400K LED spotlight you need for a more precision shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. Now you thought that was good, but wait till you take your grooming game to another level. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Weed Whacker nose and hair, ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary safe skin technology, which help reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The crop preserver below the waist deodorant and the crop reviver below the waist toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with code FAMILY. That's get 20% off and free shipping with code family at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tool with Manscaped. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. 
In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.